please rise in body or spirit. God sent Christ into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. Almighty God, you despise nothing you have made, and you forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create in us new and contrite hearts, that truly repenting our sins and acknowledging our brokenness, we may obtain from you the God of all mercy, full pardon and forgiveness, through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The first lesson is taken from the book of the prophet Isaiah, the 58th chapter. Listen for the word of God. Shout out, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet. 
Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgment. They want God on their side. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you observe your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. You fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast I choose? A day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to live in. Here ends the first reading.
Second lesson is taken from the sixth chapter of Matthew. Beware of practicing your piety in front of others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound the trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. May God bless to our hearing and our understanding this reading of God's holy word.
The final lesson begins in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the 20th verse, and continues through the 10th verse of the 6th chapter. Continue to listen for the word of God to us this night. <clears throat> so we are ambassadors for God, for Christ, because since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made the one who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we work together with him, we entreat you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on the day of salvation I have helped you. Look, now is an acceptable time. Look, now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way, in great endurance, afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, impurity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and in dishonor, in ill repute and in good repute. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well known, as dying and look, we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In recent years, I have been issuing retractions for some of my previous Ash Wednesday homilies and to be fair to myself, it's really more of a half-retraction. I think I got the message right, but my verbiage through the years may have been just a bit, well, preacherish. Here's my retraction. I have said for years that God does not care whether you give up chocolate for Lent. 
or for that matter, wine or french fries or Facebook or whatever other deprivations you may have come up with. And I have realized in recent years that was sort of a mean thing to say, especially to people who had previously given up chocolate or anything else. The devotional nature of the fast, I implied, was in some way irrelevant to God. And what I meant to highlight is that God is delighted when we do things to increase our awareness of our faith lives and of our inward life. God craves our deep engagement in the life of faith. Now, when the Lenten discipline of giving up chocolate or anything else is done for the sake of weight loss or gaining extra time or really for any non-spiritual reason, then no, I expect God is not particularly impressed with our endeavors. But if it is to heighten or highlight our awareness of our utter dependence upon God for even the air we breathe, then yes, God does delight when we give up X, Y, or Z. If we have any awareness of the transcendence of God, that is the reality that God is holy and completely other from us, it can be easy to make a wrong assumption that God is not interested in a personal relationship with us. And let's be very clear that God is transcendent. God is not just like you or me, but with unlimited powers. I love movies like Bruce Almighty and the others that show what a farce it would be if God were just like us, but with superpowers. Traffic a problem, no problem. Part it like the Red Sea. Spare tire after the holidays, easily fixed in the power of God. Even the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel portrays God as just like us, only bigger and more powerful with an impressive gray beard. The notion of transcendence says otherwise. The doctrine of transcendence relieves us of the horror of a God who is just like us, only more powerful. It relieves us from the possibility that God could be as petty, vindictive, duplicitous, deceitful, or lusty as any of us at our absolute worst. I realize that sounds like a dreadful prospect or a worst case scenario, but that was, after all, the nature of the gods of the Greek and Roman pantheon, just like us, only more powerful. And the radical notion of the Holy One of Israel is that God is not like that. Transcendence can, however, have the effect at times of making God perhaps seem distant. But I understand that might come as a relief when one considers the alternative. And yet theologians are quick to remind us that transcendence is only one of the aspects of the nature of God. Transcendent is not all that God is. Theologians also speak of God's imminence. That's the reality that God is closer to us than our very breath. 
that God knows us deeply and yearns for us to yearn for God in return. If you want examples of God's evidence, think of the ways that God chooses to relate to us from the very act of creation itself where God fashions us out of the clay of the earth and breathes life into us. Or think of the matriarchs and patriarchs of the creation stories in Genesis and the, in the mythology of the early chapters of Genesis, a relationship characterized by covenantal faithfulness, even when the human side of the equation was decidedly lacking. Moses and God enjoyed a tempestuous relationship, to be sure, but it was a relationship that was real and personal and connected. Our holy other God is not an absentee God. Or consider David's relationship with God. The psalm of penitence that will be sung tonight as the ashes are imposed upon us is attributed to David after the horrible events that led Samuel to come and to confront him. On the charges of adultery and murder, David was guilty, and God brought before him, and Samuel brought before him God's judgment, to which David penned these words of confession. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence, and blameless when you pass judgment. David's words of penitence offered to a God with whom David enjoyed a deep and abiding relationship. True confession takes place in the context of a relationship of deep trust and intimacy. Confession and spiritual discipline, such as fasting from chocolate or meat or anything else, fasting from malice or greed or envy, take place within a relationship of trust and intimacy. And of course, what more personal way to establish that relationship of trust and intimacy than person to person, in the flesh, in the incarnation. In Jesus Christ, God gives us all the same relationship that was enjoyed by Abraham and Sarah, Moses, David, and all of our forebears, God wants us to know and to trust. So our Lenten disciplines, if they are to be fruitful, exist so that we might enter more deeply into that relationship of trust and intimacy. I do realize that on occasion the Apostle Paul likes to ratchet things up a bit he raises the bar, and sometimes it comes off as a bit of braggadocio, all the myriad abuses that he endured. But it is all leading up to that resounding affirmation of God's closeness to what God has made and loved. If we had read on, if the lectionary had seen fit to give us the whole passage, we would have encountered words from Second Samuel, 
I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. How often does God say that in the course of the pages of the Bible? And it is true even now, I will be their God, and they will be my people. It's a promise that's reiterated over and over again, a promise that comes back when God speaks through the mouth of Isaiah to say that God's people would once again become the repairers of the breach. Because what God wants for us and what God wants from us is that we should care enough about God's love for creation that we will join in with God's work of reconciliation and redemption. So whatever your Lenten discipline, whatever you mean, whatever means you take to engage in this season of penitence and confession, however you choose to examine your inner life in the light of Christ, I pray for all of us that the means will point us toward Almighty God, who is already closer to us than our very breath, who loves us and yearns for our love, and whose answers to the words Remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return, is nothing less than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in Christ's resurrection lies the hope of our own. Because however much gloom gathers around us as we traverse the long valley of Lent, the destination is always Easter. The destination is always the resurrection. So remembering the promises of the resurrection, reliant on the enduring faithfulness of God, let me close with a few words from the poet Prudentius, a hymn after fasting. Therefore, let this fragile clay lose its vigor and grow faint from watery fluids flowing into pallid veins and the sickly body perish with weakness. Light and easy is the precept of fasting laid on all the faithful, and no stern rigor impels us. His own capacity urges each to observe it. Enough, if we sanctify all our actions by invoking first the divine approval, whether we accept the food that is given or shun the table. God of his great bounty bestows these blessings and with his favoring smile looks upon us as we take the bread we have dedicated, trusting his goodness. Grant, I humbly pray, that this food be healthful, and as it spreads throughout all our members, may we who adore thee, Christ, now nourish body and spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
be seated. I invite you now to enjoy, to join in our responsive invitation to observe a holy Lent. Holy and merciful God, we confess to you and to one another and to the whole communion of saints in heaven and on earth that we have sinned by our own fault in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not forgiven others as we have been forgiven. We have not listened to your call to serve as Christ served us. We have not been true to the mind of Christ. We have grieved your Holy Spirit. We confess to you, O God, all our past unfaithfulness for the pride, hypocrisy, and impatience in our lives, for our self-indulgent appetites and ways, and our exploitation of other people, for our anger at our own frustration and our envy of those more fortunate than ourselves, for our intemperate love of worldly goods and comforts and our dishonesty in daily life and work, for our negligence in prayer and worship, and our failure to commend the faith that is in us. Accept our repentance, O God, for the wrongs we have done, for our neglect of human need and suffering, and our indifference to injustice and cruelty, for all false judgments, for uncharitable thoughts toward our neighbors, and for our prejudice and contempt toward those who differ from us, for our waste and pollution of your creation and our lack of concern for those who come after us. Restore us, O God of our salvation, and show us your steadfast love. Those wishing to receive the imposition of ashes are invited to do so, either on your forehead or on the back of your hand. And if you prefer simply to receive a blessing, just indicate that as you approach.
Accomplish in us, O God, the work of your salvation. By the cross and passion of our Savior. Let us pray. Holy God, as we continue to contemplate the season of Lent, we are mindful of the ways in which it is made known to us, the lengths and the depths to which you would go for the love of humankind. We know that we are seedies floating on a sea of grace greater than we can ask or imagine. And we know as well that you not only stand ready to hear our prayers, but that you desire them. Therefore, it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray, and that we pray for those things that he instructed us to pray for. We pray for this world which you have made and loved, and where even now you are at work for redemption. Open our eyes to people who suffer from violence. In the war-torn areas of this world, bring your healing. For you, O Lord, are the great physician and in the shelter of your wings, your creation may find wholeness. We pray for healing mercies for those who suffer, praying particularly for the people of Turkey and Syria. We pray for the leaders of the world, the leaders of other nations as well as our own. Your way in the world is one of wholeness and peace, and the whole world longs for your shalom guide leaders to work for the common good of their own nations that may serve the common good of the whole world. Shorten the distances between us and compel our nations with compassion. Make us whole, O Lord. 
And likewise, we pray for the city where we live. For those in our midst who struggle with the strains of life, we offer our prayers. For those who live with unemployment and underemployment, for those without access to housing or who live in substandard housing, for those coping with emotional and mental illness and all who suffer from addiction, for victims of violence and gun violence in particular, as well as those who grieve for the fallen. For all of these, and for those unnamed yet known to you, we offer our prayers. You know the measure of grace that is needed in each of our lives, and so we commend our prayers to your care. Finally, O oh Lord, we pray for ourselves. You have called each of us to lives marked with your grace, sustained by your power, that we might be a blessing to the world. Inspire us and sustain us that we might do this work. And hear us as we give thanks for the bodies of faith that guide and nurture us. We pray for the Church Universal, for the Presbyterian Church, and for the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. Melt us, mold us, fill us, Lord, use us. These and all of our prayers we offer in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, continuing as he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
in peace to love and serve the Lord. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you and those you love, both this day and every day hereafter. Amen.